Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Anyway, that's a bit of fun, uh, but we're going to get into the message for today, and we are starting a brand new series, and we're calling it Nurture. Um, a part of it is because Mother's Day is next week, so we thought of the girliest word that I will allow myself to say, nurture, so um, old jokes, but seriously though, like uh, this, this series is going to be really good for every person, and, and I'm saying this because I believe that God wants you to win at life. Anyone here believe that? God wants you to win at life. God wants you to have a rich life. And I don't mean rich in terms of money. I, I'm talking about rich in terms of your relationships, in terms of how you uh, sense that meaning and purpose in your life. You know, sometimes you can be the richest person in the world in terms of money, but you can be empty on the inside. And I believe that Christians are supposed to have really rich, rewarding lives. And, and I'm not just saying that to get your attention. I'm saying this because I believe that God has an ulterior motive. When you have a rich, rewarding, amazing life, other people want that kind of life. And so that allows you to be able to bring people to a place where you can introduce them to Jesus. It it, it makes sense for you to have an amazing life. If you don't have an amazing life, then then this whole Christianity thing is not going to work out. Because everyone's like, why would I want to be a Christian? Because Christianity means a lousy, lame life. But the fact that this church is growing is proof that the people in here have got lives that people love. And people go, man, I want what's going on in there. Am I right? So Christianity is an amazing thing, and God wants you to have a rich life. And I'm not just talking about eternal life as well, even though that's really important. I believe that God has given us access to an abundant life while we are here on earth. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about practical things uh, that we can do in order to access um, what God has got for us. So why nurture? Well, the key passage in this series comes from 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11. And 1 Corinthians 13 is one of those crazy famous chapters in the Bible. If you've been to a Christian wedding or even some other weddings, you will hear this chapter being used because it's a chapter about... Love. There we go. We've got a few Christians in this place. It's not bad. It is the chapter that talks about love is patient, love is kind, love is good. I don't know what else it says, to be honest. But love is all of these amazing things, and love never fails. Yeah? And we know that God is love, and that God never fails. Yeah? But somewhere in this chapter, we see this verse that says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. See, something that I realized in my life is that God's love for you is amazing. It takes you where you are at. He doesn't need you to do anything to earn His love. And His love for you never fails. But His love for you is also accessible as you grow up. 
You need to grow up in order to access all the love that God has for you and all the stuff that God has for you. And that's why we have a verse that says, when I am a man, I gave up childish ways. And some of us are living Christian walks as a child and we're only accessing children's love when God has got a grown-up love for us. So I've got two nephews. Their names are Judah and Ben. Judah's five, Ben's three, um, and Judah's a bit of a jock. He is a tough um, boy, and, 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 and he loves anything that goes fast. Um, since, since young, he's loved diggers, and he's loved cars, and, and this is one thing that gives me a heads up over uh, Beck, because I can go uh, faster, and Judah does this thing where he, he wants to play like this chasey game, and he's like, Uncle Nat, I'm going to jump your back, and we can go fast. He, he has this understanding that when he's on my back, uh, we are both doing the work, and uh, we are going fast, but that's what he loves, and, and because I am bigger, uh, I don't actually think I'm faster than Beck, but, but Judah thinks so, so I'm winning, and uh, that's one way I can bribe Judah. And Judah loves bicycles, and when he was young, um, I think mom and dad got him a bicycle with training wheels, and he loved that bike. It was an indoor, uh, in-house bike. Uh, I wouldn't normally recommend it, but Judah is so spatially aware, uh, and, and my parents' house, there is this kitchen uh, bench, a floating kitchen bench, and he would just tear around it. He would go round and round, and at some stage, I don't know how, but he taught himself how to fishtail on that bike. I'm not even joking. So he'll be coming around it at top speed, and then to turn, he would just flick the back of his bike out, like, like Tokyo Drift style. I'm not even joking. When you see that bike, the, the tires are actually worn all the way down. It, it, it has no threat on it anymore because this boy knows how to drift. That boy is fast, and he loves fast. And the thing about that bike is that because it is a smaller bike for a smaller boy, he knew that there was a limit to how fast that bike was going to be able to take him. So over Christmas, my family got him, I should say, there's a whole thing about my family, it's actually probably mom and dad. I had no part to play in this, but I'll con uh, my family got Judah a bike, and it was like more of a grown-up bike. And then when I first saw that bike, I was like, that is way too big for Judah. Um, like he's sitting on the seat, and, he, and he's basically just touching the pedals. Um, and so I was like, this kid's going to fall down. But Judah is so amazing physically that it took him literally five minutes to ride without any adult super, like, like holding onto the bike. Literally five minutes he was like, Pfft. I was like, oh my gosh. And he loved that bike. It's like at family dinner, he would be like, can I go ride the bike? Because he's still not allowed to go out by himself. It's like, can I go ride the bike? Can I, can I go out? Can I ride the bike? And, and, and he's like, we all like, eat your dinner first. And he, so he's like wolfing it all down. And, and he's going to ride on that bike. He's learned how to uh, stop properly. He's learned how to turn. He's, he's five years old. He's got a bike that I think is for like a 10-year-old kid. And he's riding it. And he's going fast. Us, but something had to happen for him to be able to take that bite. He needed to grow up. He needed to mature. He needed to be able to go from training wheels to adult bike. And in the same way with our Christian walk, sometimes we have to go from training wheels to an adult bike. We need to grow up in our lives. There are certain areas that we need to deal with so that we can actually go uh, and access the fullness of what God has got for us.
And that's what we want to talk about over the next few weeks. We want to talk about some areas of our life that, that I think that if we actually had a deeper understanding of how we are men to deal with ourselves and deal with the situations and deal with what's going on, we are going to be able to get rid of the training wheels and we are able to be able to go faster, to go further, to be able to access all that God has got for us. Anyone want that kind of life? All right, a few people, maybe, maybe I'm not doing a good enough job, but I, I can't imagine my life going at half pace for the rest of my life. I can't imagine waking up and thinking, what a waste my life is. I don't want to ever get to that place. But some of us are finding ourselves in the place where you're waking up and say, like, what is the meaning to all of this? Well, the meaning to all of that is that God loves you, but he's also got more for you that's accessible when you grow up. So this morning, I want to talk about what I believe is foundational to the rest of the series and what I believe is going to help build the rest of the series. And I'm going to talk about nurturing your heart. And the main passage for today comes from Proverbs 4.23, and it says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Anyone here grew up having to memorize that verse in kids' church? Yeah, the two Asians in the room. <laughs> I had to, it's like memory verse central. This is one of those verses that we all had to memorize. But the thing is that the more I look at it, the more it didn't make sense. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. My heart is not flowing right now. Like, it's, it's in there. The only thing that's flowing is blood, and it's very well protected. So what God talking about? Well, if we dive into this, um, there's so much truth in this one little verse that will blow your mind. See, the heart in Hebrew thought is actually the center of your being. Some old scholars like the word the inner man. Your heart is the inner man. And again, that doesn't really help when I was researching it. The heart is the inner man. So what, what is it like? Is it like the Inside Out movie where you have got little men in, in your head that are controlling your emotions and your thoughts? Or is, am I some kind of like alien life form with something living on the inside of me? The best way that I think we can talk about the inner man and the heart is that the heart represents the center of your being. It is the true you. It is the you that God created you to be. It is the, the values and the morals. It is more than your emotions. In today's Western culture where we talk about heart, when you say a person, oh, that person is all heart, you're saying that that person is all emotion, is all passion, is all energy, is, is all like, yeah, it's all about this ball of emotion. But when the Bible talks about your heart, it's not saying uh, to guard your emotions. It's saying to guard the center of your being. It's to guard the true you. And why is it so important to guard the true you? Is because from it flows the springs of life, which is a very nice, beautiful way of saying, I don't know what. So I had to do some research. I'm doing all the work for you guys, you know. And, and uh, the, the springs of life, flowing, the, the flowing springs of life can actually mean the source of living. So the center of your being, your heart, is the source of your living, is the source of your everyday living. So what does this mean? It basically means that if you have a healthy heart, from it will flow the everyday decisions that you will make, 
And if you have a healthy heart, you will make healthy decisions, which will lead to a healthy life. Making sense? So if you have a bad heart, a bad center of your being, you will make bad everyday decisions, which will lead to a bad life. So the, the key to all of this is that we need to have a healthy heart. And in order to have a healthy heart, the Bible teaches us to keep your heart. And it doesn't mean to take possession. The keep, some people describe it as God, but I think it's not deep enough for us to really understand it. And so uh, the next slide, we've got a picture. And this is a picture of a castle and a keep. And this slide has cut off the top of my keep. But basically what happens is this whole thing is a castle with a keep. That thing there is a keep. The thing at the top, the, 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 the bit that is surrounded by a moat and is sitting on top of a hill with all the fortifications, that is a keep. That is where you store all of your treasures. That is where you keep your most important people. That is the place that you can defend better than any other place in the whole castle. Guarding our heart is not simply having that, but is actually going to the really most important place. The Bible is telling us that we need to actually be able to determine that I'm going to have a place where I'm going to really watch over my heart. I'm going to get to a place where uh, I'm going to be able to determine what gets into my heart. You see, in order to be able to get into the keep, first you need to be able to access the castle. But accessing the castle is not enough. You need to get all the way through all the defenses in the castle and then to a place where you access the keep. And that is a place that you can watch what is getting into your heart. And I believe that this is something that we need to learn how to do in today's day and age. We need to watch the messages that are trying to get into our heart. We need to be able to determine the things that are defining who the true you is, the things that are getting in and either corrupting or building up the center of your being. And it sounds really easy. I'm just going to say no to bad stuff and I'm going to say yes to good stuff. Pretty easy, yeah? Not that easy. We are living in a culture today where the messages that we are getting is as unfiltered as it gets. As I was researching for this um, message, I, I, I came across, really this all started because I, I, I was sitting, uh, well, we had a catch-up, Beck and I had a catch-up with a couple of friends at Dome, and you know how Dome has those magazines that they just stack at the site, and you can grab them, and you can read them while having a coffee? Well, there were a couple of magazines there, and as I was looking at them, I was thinking, I wouldn't want an adult reading this magazine. But this is actually available for kids. Anyone can grab that and your three-year-old kid can be reading about the best sex possible, can be reading about what body image the world wants you to have. And as I was looking at that, it was 
kind of like dawning on me, we are living in a place, uh, the media simply is amplifying the messages that's already in our culture. We, I'm not here to blame magazines. I'm not here to tell you to be a hermit and to get rid of your TV and all of that kind of stuff. But what I'm trying to tell you is that there are messages out there that are bombarding you. I, as I was d- d- diving deeper into this, I found that, um, uh, do you, anyone knows the Cosmopolitan magazine? I think at this point, maybe some people are scared to say yes because you know what's coming next. Cosmopolitan, they print three million magazines per month. And they have a readership of estimated 20 million people. That's nearly the whole population of Australia reading this magazine. At the same time, researchers have found that the more a person reads Cosmopolitan magazine, the more they're having a bad self-image, a bad body image. Reading this magazine has led to increased levels of eating disorders. And is available for you to buy for $7.99 at the news agency. It doesn't have a RA rating, R18 rating on it. It doesn't have anything. It is unfiltered. And, and culture is saying, we want more of this. We want to have more of these messages entering our souls, entering our heart, and defining who we are. Is it any wonder that rates of suicide, depression, and anxiety are going up when we are accepting messages that were never intended for our heart? We are living in a day and age where we have to be so much more observant of the things that are coming into our life. And this is a scary thing because it didn't happen overnight. The things that we used to think were out there, as uh, uh, over time we get desensitized to it. As we get desensitized to it, we start to normalize it. It starts that this is just part of our culture. And then one day, if you're not careful about it, we start to glorify it. That's what happened with sex. One day it was taboo, which is not a good thing, but it used to be taboo. But the more we got desensitized to it, and now you are living in a culture where it's not just normalized, but it is glorified. And we've got to be careful about what messages we are allowing into our heart because we need to keep our heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. When I was thinking about this, I was like, all right, so what does keeping my heart actually mean? And I used to think that it's all about rules. It's all about making sure that you have all your fortifications up. You're just making sure that you have the turrets in the right place. Basically, in real life, it's just making sure you have boundaries and things that you know I'm not supposed to do that. But the Bible shows us through a character called Samson, that rules and regulations are not the way to keep our heart. I've got a picture of Samson in there somewhere. Look at him. All those muscles. He's got muscles on his muscles. It's ridiculous. But Samson was one of the judges of Israel. He led Israel for 20 years, and he was known to be the strongest man in um, in history or something like that, he killed a, a, a lion with his bare hands. And I don't mean like bears and animal, but like his, his man hands. Um, but he killed lion um, and then weird stuff like eats honey out of it. You can read about it in Judges 13 to 16. But the thing about him, when I looked at his story, is that Samson actually grew up in an environment of very strict legalism. 
He grew up uh, and his parents made him take a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow basically is saying that this person is almost going to be living as a priest without actually having the title of priest. So he was having the standards, the living standards of a priest without being one. This is because he was supposed to live as one given to God. So Samson knew all the rules. He knew all the regulations. He knew what God said was good and bad for him. And so he had all of these fortifications. If there was anyone that was supposed to be kept safe, if, if rules and regulations was all that we need to guard our hearts, Samson would have it all together. But Samson didn't. And time and time again, when you read his story, he was making mistakes. He was doing things that were going against uh, what he was supposed to be doing. And, and it got to a place where in Judges 16 verse 4, uh, it, this is what it says, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. And this is where Sorak is. Sorak is in this gray area between the Israelites and the Philistines. We don't know if the Valley of Sorek belonged to the Israelites or the Philistines. And the Philistines were Samson's enemies, was the Israelites' enemies. And there was this valley that he went down to. And let me tell you, if you think that you are strong enough to be able to keep all the rules and regulations that you put in place, this is a man who couldn't, and he just represents every single one of us. If all our lives was, to, was, was supposed to be keeping rules and regulations, many of us will find ourselves in the gray area of the Valley of Sorek. As soon as he got into the Valley of Sorek, he meets Delilah. And as many of us know, or if not, you can read it in the Bible, Samson gets enticed by this woman who, who finds the secret to his strength and basically kills the man. Samson, who was supposed to be set up as one of the greatest men in all of Israel's history, died because he went into a gray area. And if we think that we can keep ourselves safe, simply by setting up rules and regulations. Let me just give you the bad news straight up. You're going to find yourself one day getting curious enough so that you find yourself trying to see what's on the other side. And you find yourself in the valley of Sorek. You're neither here nor there. You're not quite across the line yet, but you're standing right on it. And then suddenly you realize, I don't know when it happened, but I'm on the other side of the valley. I'm no longer in a safe place. I've been there. And if you're being honest, every single one of us have been there. I'm not here to teach you religion. I'm not here to teach you rules and regulations on how to keep your heart safe. Because I know that if I just tell you all of those things, one day you're still going to find yourself in the Valley of Sorek. No, something needs to go deeper. We need to go deeper than rules and regulations. And this is what I felt God putting on my heart, that in these next few weeks as we talk about growing up and taking hold of all that God has got for us, it's not about learning another quick trick. It's not about learning a quick fix. It's not about learning another rule or another regulation in order that we get to the place that we're supposed to be, but it's actually about learning what is truly important. See, if we can get the picture of the keep back up again, you can have the most beautiful keep. You can have the most important 
rules and regulations known to mankind. You can have it all. You can have the best defenses. But what happens is if you don't have the most important things in the safest place, you're never going to keep it safe. If you leave your identity on the outside of the castle, it doesn't matter that you have the tallest castle walls. It doesn't matter that you've got the best rules possible. You are still leaving yourself right out there to be attacked. And the messages are getting to you. You need to know what is important in your life and to place it in the most important place in your life. Does that make sense? And this is the thing that I'm trying to put into each and every one of you. Do you really know what is important to you? Do you truly know what are the things that you value? Do you know how you were created to be? Do you know what is meant to be in your heart in the first place? It is easy to say no to something if you know that that something is going to destroy your life. But if that thing comes in and looks good and you have no idea what it really stands for and you accept it, then it's going to hit you hard. It's easy to say yes to something that looks good. And Jesus himself talks about this. He said this in... In Luke 11, 34 to 35, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest you take in darkness. No, 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 Jesus didn't say, be careful in case you take in darkness. He said, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. He's saying that there are things out there that are masquerading as light. It looks good. It looks like it's something that is acceptable. But then when you take it into you, it becomes destructive. It becomes uh, identity destroying. It doesn't, it doesn't look good to be healthy and to have a lean body with the abs and the muscles. Yes. But if it means that you're hating on yourself, yeah. it's darkness. If you're taking in the wrong messages, and that's why some of us need to have boundaries that say, I'm never going to go into those magazines. I'm never going to watch those kinds of movies. I'm never going to watch, not because there is a rule to follow, but because you know that that, 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 that thing masquerading as light, when you take it into you, it becomes darkness. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some areas of our life, and, and it's going to be good fun. In a couple of weeks, um, I'm going to have a semi-interview with Shelley, who's studying nutrition. We're going to talk about uh, a body image. It's going to be fun and all that kind of stuff. But today, the question that I've got for you is, do you even know what's important? There's no point putting in all those rules. There's no point saying, I'm going to read my Bible seven days a week and pray about three hours a day if your heart is still in the wrong place. If your heart is still outside of the place that you are keeping, you're just going to find darkness in there. And my heart for you is not to tell you off. This is not a message about condemnation. Because the truth is that I've been there. I've accepted things that I thought that was good, but actually was eroding my soul. It was, it was, it was breaking my heart. It was causing brokenness on the inside. I thought that these things, if I chased it, it would make me better. But it brought, it, it brought me to a place of brokenness. And this morning as an introduction... 
I want to start from a point that all of us at some point have got broken hearts. All of us at some point have got hearts that have accepted darkness instead of light. And we're all there. This is not a place of condemnation. This is simply the truth. The world we live in is not easy to differentiate between the light and the dark. But what the Bible shows us is that when you do have darkness in your life, it is not the end. It's not too late. Psalm 51 is probably one of my favorite psalms. It's written by King David after he was discovered committing both adultery and murder. He had done some terrible things. He was in a place of brokenness and he was being confronted with that brokenness. And in that moment, he pens these words, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The reason I love this is because it's a prayer that I have to say. My heart started wandering and, out, and it went outside of a safe place. But God allows us a second chance, maybe even a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. But it allows us the opportunity to come to God. But when we come to God, we have to realize that in order to have a heart that is good, it is a heart that God intends. In order to have a heart that is truly going to allow you to live a, a wise life, a life full of light, a life that is full of the riches of what God has got for you, it is a heart that God created. So this is a prayer that I say all the time, create in me a clean heart. We need to get to a place as we grow up that we realize that keeping our hearts clean, yes, is our responsibility but it's also something that only God can do. I don't know how to explain how it's our responsibility, but it's something that God does. It just works that way. And when you find yourself in a place where, where, where things are not right, you need to come to God. I love what Mitch was saying this morning. The invitation is not get things right and then you get to go into God's presence. No, no, no. The invitation has already been thrown wide open. He says, come to this place. The sacrifice has been made. The price has been paid. And when you get into God's presence, uh, it is a place where you can be safe enough to open up your heart and to say, God, there is darkness in there. And I don't know how to handle it. I don't know how I got to this place. I don't know why I'm still in this place. I know that it's darkness, but I don't know how to choose a light. So God, create in me a clean heart. And as we get to that place where God's creating in us a clean heart, He readjusts our priorities and the things that are of importance in our life, so much so that we can actually see that God's salvation is what truly brings us joy. It is not found in the world. It is not found in a place where you're chasing after all the things that is masquerading as light. It is found in a place where I'm safe with Jesus and the joy of His salvation is made whole in me once again. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.